This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Abdominal pain, it's a common problem. And most patients fortunately have a benign and or self-limited cause. But the initial goal of our evaluation is to identify those patients with a serious etiology that may require urgent intervention, such as surgery. The title of today's show is Guess the Belly Pain. Wish we could make it a quiz, but we want to explain how we use the history or the patient's description of the location, the duration and severity of the pain, along with our physical exam, blood tests, and x-rays or CAT scans, and when we move to endoscopy. Now, friends, you're hearing all this buzz in the news about AI, and you might think that means artificial intelligence or a few Sixers fans, Alan Iverson, but for the people in the know, it means Anthony Infantilino, gastroenterologist extraordinaire. <laughs> well, fortunately for me, we were colleagues at Jefferson where we had, where Dr. Infantilino had the very special distinction of being a named professor. And more recently, Dr. Infantilino was invited to continue his practice as a professor of medicine at the Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. And at the Cooper Digestive Health Institute, he's the director of advanced luminal endoscopy, which means he has very special expertise in the more detailed procedures that we use to test Barrett's esophagus, GI bleeding, and safe removal of very large polyps. He has an international reputation, leadership roles in several national GI societies, countless awards for teaching and research, consistently named a top doc in Philly and Jersey, and is truly a doctor's doctor. He's dedicated, reliable, and incredibly nice. Welcome, Tony. Well, thank you, Marianne. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, working you with you once again on uh, these exciting projects. So uh, I'm so proud of all the great work you're doing and getting these messages out to people. It's an invaluable opportunity for uh, people to learn about a host of different uh, diseases from experts. And uh, you're just doing a fantastic job. Again, thanks for having me. 
Well, you're kind. I, I just really, after you and I have spent years in medical practice, a lot of this is just not complicated. But if you hand me blueprints, I'm not an architect. I can't interpret them. And so the average person, especially when they're in a, in a panic mode because they have severe pain, do I go to the ER or do I let it go away? So we want to help people make those decisions because they're better informed about what we know as everyday issues. So as we said, fortunately, most causes of belly pain are benign and will be self-limited. But our initial goal is to determine when we have to intervene, whether it's surgery or a GI bleeding, and you're a master at uh, controlling that, uh, or maybe put a stent in a bile duct. So when a patient comes to the emergency room or even in a calmer setting, we want them to be able specific questions, uh, answer specific questions. What might some of those questions be when we want to characterize belly pain? Well, uh, certainly, uh, number one thing you're going to ask the patient is uh, the severity of the pain, because obviously the patient is writhing in pain in the office or in the emergency room. That's going to be different than somebody who's had 30 years of intermittent abdominal pain. So severity is really important. And the onset is the pain one hour old. Is it 10 hours old? Right. Is there associated fever, chills, nausea, vomiting, any signs of black stool or bright red blood uh, coming out of the colon that would be worrisome for a GI bleed, a perforated ulcer, things like that. We're going to ask patients about their medications, especially things like NSAIDs, Motrin, Nuprin, Advil, Feldene, all those things that they can cause gastrointestinal uh, bleeding. And then uh, their family history, uh, people with family histories of colon cancer uh, are important. Uh, people can pre present with perforated colon cancers, history of previous ulcer disease, history of previous surgery, because a lot of these patients may have a bowel obstruction from scar tissue that's formed uh, in the belly after an operation. So uh, these are important things. And, the, and you know, we use the standard scale, one to 10. I always tell people, one's a pinprick and 10 is like a knife going in you. What number would you put on that pain? So these are the things we would start off with uh, asking patients about. And I guess too, uh, uh, we all have our pattern in our minds because we, as GI doctors, we see so many people with belly pain. And, and I always used to tell my students and residents that I can name that tune in three notes. <laughs> After you've done this for a number of years and you get called to the emergency room, you might have 10 people in different rooms and you can walk in and ask a few questions and pretty quickly tell if somebody has an acute appendix or a, an upset gallbladder or, like you say, an obstruction in their bowel from scar tissue or a colon cancer or just a virus, and they can go home. And it's an art form, but the experience that we have is, is really helpful. So we want patients to be able to say where it, the pain is, and did it start there, or does it did it travel from elsewhere? Does it go through to your back? Because we know things like pancreatitis or gallstones can even start as back pain. And then is this the first time it's ever happened or have you had episodes in the past that are similar, but maybe this is worse? And what were you doing when it started, right? Were you eating? And this, oh, yeah, now that I think about it, it usually follows a meal. And then we zero in on, could this be something really simple like lactose intolerance? So you know the stats as well as I. Mediterranean descent, it's like Italian people and people with Spanish background. This is like 70% of people eat a meal with 
Maybe they're at a restaurant, they eat more than usual, and they say, oh, it's my birthday, I'll get dessert. And if dairy's sneaking into creamy soups, creamy salad dressings, or a fancy, right, that they're going to get the rumbles and say, what did I, did I get food poisoning? No, it takes at least 12 hours to get the, the first type of food poisoning, staff poisoning, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, it'll be Thanksgiving and somebody stuffed that bird with something that wasn't cooked. And, you know, you'll rarely get staphylococcus, uh, you know, early on. The whole family's in the emergency room uh, because they had, uh, you know, bad stuffing in a, in a bird or uh, Bacillus cirrus is another rare one. You might get a little sooner, but you're right. You know, the majority of, you know, viruses or bacterial infections from food ingestion are usually delayed by anywhere from 12 to to 72 hours. But the, I'm always asking what people ate. Has anybody else been sick uh, in the household? You know, any new medications? Has there been any travel? Uh, you know, people have just gotten home from some exotic place and uh, they like to try exotic things. And sometimes they come back with exotic things living in them like parasites. So mm-hmm. really important to, to get a good travel history, a good family history uh, and uh, meal history to see if we can tie something together in our, what we call differential diagnosis. So given the choice, it's probably not a good idea to eat goat's eyeballs. I don't know. Um, a little squeamish about stuff like that. The other big one that we always ask, does that pain or did the pain awaken you from a sound sleep? Because we see a lot of patients with what we call irritable bowel syndrome and irritable bowel suggests that the, you know, I always remind my patients, the bowel is a muscular tube. And just like if you have a trolley horse in your leg, if that tube squeezes up, you're going to feel it as a really nasty, crampy sensation in your belly. And it can be pretty, pretty strong. But usually that happens during the wakeful hours because you've eaten or you've, you're, you know, have some excess gas or something. But if it wakes you up out of sound sleep, we think infection or a perforation that happens during the night. What other things go through your mind, Tony, when somebody says, yeah. wow, I was sound asleep? Yeah, we don't like nocturnal pain. Uh, the majority of you know common GI disorders, like you mentioned, Miriam, irritable bowel syndrome, in general, are not something that wake people up in the middle of the night. So we start hearing nocturnal diarrhea, nocturnal abdominal pain. You know, things like inflammatory bowel disease come to mind, like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. Um, uh, things uh, like perforated viscous, like uh, uh, a hole in the stomach uh, that's occurred or uh, something perforating in the colon or uh, pancreatitis, things like this, uh, catastrophic things in the abdomen, uh, dead bowel from not enough blood flow. So we worry about uh, nighttime stuff. So we kind of call, refer to that as almost a heart attack of the bowel because if the blood vessels to your brain are blocked from cholesterol or whatever, you'll get a stroke. If the vessels to your heart that feed your heart, you get a heart attack, but the vessels to your your GI tract, same thing. They get this pain that's out of proportion. We examine people, we press on them. It doesn't feel so bad, but the pain, they're just crying. They're sweating with pain. And I always think eating is such an important issue too, because if pain usually comes after eating and you say, no, go, you know, you're feeling pretty well right now, but when your pain comes back, keep a little diary. Because if you eat a meal and 20 to 30 minutes later, you get this kind of, oh gosh, did I just swallow a, a lead weight? It could be that you have slow motility, either medications or diabetes. Sometimes people with eating disorders, especially if they have anorexia, or I'm sorry, bulimia nervosa, 
and they're telling their GI tracts, no, don't, don't have food travel north to south. We want it to come backwards. The nerve endings start to rebel and they get what's called gastroparesis. Yeah. And they, their stomach doesn't empty properly and they're in really bad pain. Yeah, those are all uh, great points. Uh, you know, the new diabetes medications uh, that are also being used for weight loss, one of their side effects is delayed stomach emptying. So it's so important to look through people's medication lists because I find uh, lots of correlation between the starting of a new medication and onset of symptoms, drugs like metformin for diabetes, uh, et cetera, and these new uh, GLP uh, blockers. You know, it's uh, really important to get a great medication history. No such thing as a free lunch or, or an easy path to weight loss. But, and I guess the other mm. important thing that is position. We know that people have pancreatitis. They actually feel better when they sit up and lean forward. Or if you have peritonitis, if you have a ruptured appendix, a ruptured diverticulitis, an ectopic pregnancy, if you have an explosion in your belly, you lie, that patient is lying so still, they're mummified. Just don't come near me. Don't come within a foot of me. Yes. You I mean, it's right there. We used to call it the Hippocratic facies. It's right there in the person's face. Yeah, you're right, Marion. I always tell the medical students that if you think a patient's got peritonitis, inflammation of the lining uh, inside the abdomen, don't go up there and start bouncing on that patient's abdomen because you're going to cause such severe pain. Sometimes I'll literally just shake the bed just to see. I said, if I just shake your mattress ever so slightly. If the patient's saying that hurts, there's no sense uh, causing severe uh, additional pain by mashing on their abdomen. So you know you have to call the surgeon right away uh, when that's causing them to have uh, discomfort. So uh, radiation, where it's going, the severity, abdominal distension, we're always looking for. I always say to the patient, is your abdomen normally like this or uh, are you looking like you're pregnant. And they'll say, oh, no, my abdomen's markedly distended. Again, we'd be worried about perforation, obstruction, fluid accumulating in the abdomen, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the taking the person's medical history and learning about their other conditions like thyroid disease. Even thyroid disease can throw your motility or put you into bowel spasm, excess caffeine. Let's take a little break and we'll be back with Dr. Anthony Infantilino. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Welcome back to your radio doctor with our special guest, Dr. Anthony Infantilino from Cooper. 
and our topic is guess the belly pain with our collective years of experience with examining people with belly pain tony we talked about how important it is especially if you have chronic belly pain to really sit and think before you see the doctor about the categories we discussed location what things make it better or worse uh just even having a bowel movement uh, relieve some of your pain and know your medical history, have it written down. So we can say, do you have diabetes? Cause that can affect your belly. Um, a history of gallstones. Do you have irregular periods? What is your sexual history? So we can uh, concern ourselves about um, sexually transmitted diseases and know when it's appropriate to add a pelvic exam when you come to the emergency room. And as you mentioned, if they've had surgeries in the past, you can get sort of saran wrap kind of cobwebs around parts of your bowel that can lead to obstruction when it wants to, right? Um, and the other quick thing I want to mention is social history is so important. That means we're not, how many friends do you have? But it means, do you smoke cigarettes? Because nicotine can cause all kinds of GI issues, reflux, bowel spasm, right? Excess caffeine can put your, your uh, bowel into a tizzy. And uh, obviously illicit drugs, we are seeing so many more people, not just young people with the effects of chronic use of marijuana. Yes. Yeah. Affecting their GI motility. We call that the uh, you know, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. People think that the cannabis is helping their nausea. So they smoke more of it and then it becomes a vicious cycle. So if you have a heavy pot smoker come in with vomiting as their main complaint, you got to think about excessive use of cannabis. And when you tell people that they're smoking too much pot, they, they, they think that you're crazy. They think that, no, the pot's helping with their uh, nausea and stuff for whatever reason they have it. And it's very hard to talk them off of using that because they think it's really helping them. But some people will listen and I tell them to taper off uh, the uh, marijuana and they oftentimes will get better. And then speaking of social history, you know, we all like a glass of wine with dinner sometimes, but uh, some people uh, are drinking a bottle of vodka or a case of beer and uh, obviously, when they have that sort of history, uh, we're going to be thinking about alcohol-related liver disease and pancreatic disorders. And you know, if you have the family member in the uh, room with the patient, you know, I'll always turn to the wife or the husband or the daughter, whoever's in there, and say, you know, anything else that's going on, because sometimes the patient will be reluctant to give up information, but uh, we can, uh, you know, glean into the patient's history a little bit more from speaking to the family. Plus, I think it has become maybe not the norm, but what the pattern I'm seeing, especially with our young patients is, do you, do you drink, uh, you know, when we ask about, do you smoke, do you drink, do you exercise, all those good things. Drinking has become kind of relative and, oh, just on Friday night. And I'll say, so what's that, like a six pack and a couple shots? Yeah, it just rolls off their tongues. I'm not judging people, but it's not good for your cute little body. And it also can lead to really pretty extreme GI symptoms. Speaking of which, I love how you mentioned the reminder that we need to know if you're taking all of your prescription meds, of course, names, doses, but over the counter, over the counter, over the counter, we can't emphasize that enough. And supplements, probiotics could throw your belly into a tizzy, right? A lot of people get diarrhea from that, but they think it's natural. And just because you don't need a prescription doesn't mean that supplements are always a good idea, especially to excess for a couple reasons. They could give you symptoms because they want to, or they can interfere with your prescription meds and make them stronger or weaker. So 
so important to tell us. And like you said, that includes aspirin, a daily baby aspirin. How many times have you seen major GI bleeding from a daily baby aspirin or frequent use of ibuprofen and its relatives? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really important point. You know, people think, well, one aspirin is good, so four must be better. I've had people coming in taking, you know, 700 milligrams of aspirin, coming with a big GI bleed, or they're taking ibuprofen and aspirin, and, they, you know, they, they, they're having chronic headaches. Migraine patients are eating 1,200 milligrams of Motrin. So, you know, these over-the-counter products and herbal therapies, you know, I always tell people, just because you bought it at the health food store, like you said, it doesn't mean it's healthy. Uh, we've had a number of people uh, wake up with new livers from herbal therapy, uh, you know, and it's, you got to be careful. Uh, you know, people have studied uh, what you pick up at, say, at one of these health food stores, and they've actually tested what's in them. And majority of the times, what they say is in it is not. And uh, so, you know, our medications we, we, we know what they do, what they can do. We know the side effects to look for, but these other medications are completely unregulated. So you'd be really be careful about supplements and what they can do for you. Mm -hmm. And you. tell your doctor so somebody can review it with you. And, and we'll do another show on uh, over-the-counter uh, preps uh, specifically. But so the person comes to the emergency room and we have to go through that. If it's not A, it's B. We have to say, does this person need surgery or not? Do they need to be admitted and observed or not? Do they need a stent? So sometimes a person, because you talked about pancreatitis, which is so important, and it can fool people, can belly pain into the chest or back. But what people should know is it's so important to go to the emergency department. Don't stay home. The, the longer you allow an issue to uh, continue, the harder it is to help you or to reverse it. And the most common cause of pancreatitis is not drinking alcohol. It's passing a gallstone and it, get, it gets lodged at an intersection of I-95 and Route 1 and, <laughs> and the Jersey Turnpike. And it can, if it affects just the pancreas, you have pancreatitis. But we know from the labs when you come to the ER, if your liver studies are abnormal too, it's blocking the channel from your liver and your pancreas. And, and we can slip in, not, not, not especially easily, but we can put a little stent or a a straw in the block channel and alleviate, take the gallstones out. So there's so much magic attached to medicine these days. Yeah, that's very important. I, I mean, the advances in procedural things in GI that we can do now, uh, we can save so many people from unnecessary surgery. So somebody comes in with a bile duct stone, like you were saying, that's an emergency. We call that cholangitis, you know, inflammation within the bile duct. They'll have fever, right upper quadrant pain, and abnormal liver enzymes. And uh, that's biliary pancreatitis or bile duct stone-induced pancreatitis and cholangitis. And we go in, we pull that stone out, put a stent in. There's actually pus sometimes in a bile duct. So these are important things. And uh, again, we, we want to look at all the quadrants in the abdomen, decide what's what and, you know, where we think things are coming from and uh, uh, try and come up with a list of most likely the least likely causes in the laboratories, imaging and the history and a physical exam all come together to allow a clinician to begin to piece together this puzzle. So when we talk about quadrants, we um, communicate with each other and say, I just saw a patient with pain in their right upper quadrant. We divide the belly into four areas 
mostly right and left upper belly, right and left lower belly, all of which can signal us to go looking for a particular condition. Like you said, like a hot gallbladder would be right upper belly. Uh, appendix is right lower belly, but that's why we love people that have been around for a while because once in a while that sneaky appendix will cause pain in the left lower belly if they have unusual anatomy or it can start around the navel and travel. So let's talk about the areas of concern, the four quadrants or sometimes just middle upper belly. Yeah, so uh, we call that the epigastric area, just sort of right in the middle, right below your breastplate. And uh, when people come in with epigastric pain, the things that are really highest up on our mind are just garden variety inflammation of the stomach, gastritis, which could come from infection with helicobacter pylori, which you can pick up from drinking out of a glass in a restaurant. Some family members are passing this bacteria to each other, you know, ulcer disease, which it could come from H. pylori or Additionally, from Motrin, Advil, again, that's why the medication history is so important. Uh, pancreatitis, like we just talked about, could be in the middle of the belly. It could be going right to the back. Sometimes it starts to the back, as Dr. Ritchie already uh, mentioned. Gallbladder disease sometimes radiates to the middle. So it could be in the right or it could be all the way up in the middle of the belly. So, we're, we're, and, you know, there's always bad things like cancer on the list, but most of the time, this is this is things that are not cancerous, although we always have that on our list. So those would be the top things that we think about uh, in the upper part of the belly. Rarely heart attacks, people who have uh, heart attacks involving the lower part of the heart sometimes can get a whole bunch of GI symptoms, nausea, vomiting, pain. And these people are thinking they're having GI problems, they're really having uh, a heart attack. I've rerouted some people from the GI lab, did a cardiology lab for catheterizations who were, you know, misdiagnosed as having a GI problem. So that's that quadrant uh, where we, that we think about those things, Mary. And then we travel over to the right upper belly and the classic is gallbladder, but how many times have you seen somebody who says, well, I had the ultrasound, but I still have the pain. And as I guess I see more young women than you do, but, or some of the men docs, but I, if it travels, if it, if the pain seems to follow meals, I look for what we talked about earlier, slow emptying and your, your stomach, the whole big area, the cave is the abdomen. So where the stomach is just that little pouch and the tip of it points that right upper corner. So people have gastroparesis or delayed emptying can have miserable pain. And we do a test. We'll talk about testing later. In that right upper quadrant, like you mentioned, again, you know, we cross it over into different parts of the anatomy there. We got the lung on that right side and a small muscle, the diaphragm, separating the lung cavity from the abdominal cavity. So liver issues, right lower lobe lung issues can sometimes cause right upper quadrant pain. Some rare patients with sexually transmitted disease mm -hmm. can get inflammation right up the tube and involve the liver. There's uh, all kinds of things. Uh, colon is up in that right upper quadrant as well, small bowel as it exits out of the stomach. So it's a broad differential diagnosis, but the, the most common things we look for is gallbladder disease, bile duct disease, liver disease, but we have to keep everything in our minds and on the list and the testing uh, and imaging is going to help us sort through that. And we travel over to the left upper belly. What goes through your mind there, Tony? Yeah. So uh, again, there, the spleen lives underneath the rib cage on the left. So, you know, somebody can have an enlarged spleen for a host of other re reasons. And we have to do a very careful physical exam. Uh, and we teach the medical students how to start down further and work their way up because you sometimes you could be on top of a big spleen. We think about colon because the, the, the left colon comes up that way and around to the transverse colon. Again, left 
lower lung uh, problems. Again, could mimic uh, causes in that area. So uh, we have to think about all those things in that left upper quadrant, very important. And sometimes people have wacky anatomy, like uh, Mary had, uh, mentioned, people have stuff that's reversed. People have part of their colon that flips up into the left upper quadrant. People with appendicitis can really present with left upper quadrant pain. So you got to be uh, really thinking outside the box, but you know, common things happen commonly, but you still have to keep those rare things on the list. So you have to be Nancy Drew or Frank or Joe Hardy is the point here. <laughs> Let's take a little break. And when we come back more about dividing your belly into quadrants. And now for your real champion, I call this segment Martha's Choice Marketplace and Community Farm. Eight years ago, two friends came together and became the directors and the force behind Martha's Choice Marketplace and Community Farm, now the largest and most visited food pantry in all of Montgomery County. Patrick Walsh was a middle school teacher and drawn to the mission because people in need of food are also in need of being seen and cared for. Eli Wenger owned a coffee shop and music venue, and the two met when Patrick got up to sing at an open mic night. The project began as a small food pantry in the basement of the St. Paul's Convent in Norristown. An arm of the Catholic Social Services, Martha's Choice was serving a steady flow of eight to 900 families per month. Then came COVID, and the number swelled to 2,000 families a month. And now that the pandemic has passed, but government financial resources have dwindled, the need remains the same. So for the first time since opening, Patrick and Eli have to raise money to buy food. Well, they've also created a grocery store style of distribution. Instead of giving each family a box of food, visitors can choose the foods that best fit their family's needs, considering issues like diabetes, the need for gluten-free products, diapers, feminine products, all tailored to improve the service. It also provides a sense of dignity for the visitors who choose the items they prefer. Also with COVID came social distancing. So the team created a very clever drive-through model, making it easier for volunteers and safer for the elderly and immunocompromised visitors, especially since they didn't have to stand in line for hours in bad weather. In fact, they've continued this drive-through format because their space in the convent is limited. Each time they're faced with a challenge, they look at it as an opportunity. Patrick and Eli explain that more than just sharing food, their goal is to build connections and a trusting collective community, people bringing out the best in each other while meeting each other's needs. The visitors are like family, and many have been there for all eight years, and many join in as volunteers. The hope is to grow the community to increase access to healthier foods. Of the folks they serve, about 50% are Hispanic. Language barrier, no problem. The clients text them in Spanish and with Google Translate, Patrick and Eli know exactly what the families need and they answer them using the same technology. In 2021, Martha's Choice grew to include a 10 acre agricultural site in Audubon, which led to creating Martha's Community Farm. With absolutely no experience in farming, Patrick and Eli had to learn how to grow food. They created a network of partners, bought shovels, seeds, fencing, and invited their friend Jesse to become the lead farmer. They knew Jesse had the passion and compassion to do the job. 
They also invite help from animal husbandry departments at Penn State and Montgomery Community College. They now cultivate thousands of pounds of fresh produce, including culturally appropriate items that are not widely available at other regional food banks, such as tomatillos, cilantro, and peppers. Since Patrick and Eli took the lead, Martha's has continued to expand. In the last year alone, they provided over 2 million pounds of food to more than 15,000 visitors, including 6,500 children and more than 3,700 families. During our conversation, I was truly uplifted by the enthusiasm in their voices. Patrick and Eli and their team have built Martha's piece by piece through very hard work, aiming to provide healthy food and services in a dignified and loving way to their friends and neighbors. Patrick says, the work transforms us for the better, and they believe that how they serve is just as important as what they serve. We salute you, Patrick Walsh and Eli Wenger, your real champions. Join in their effort to serve families in need. Become a volunteer. Send a donation. Website, marthaschoicemarketplace.com or call 610-279-7372. Website, marthaschoicemarketplace.com or 610-279-7372. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. And we're here on Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Anthony Infantilino from the Cooper Digestive Health Center. Tony, we were talking about how we approach a patient in the emergency department or even in our office when we try to place categories. We want to know where the pain is because that really helps us uh, go through a list in our minds of what lives in the right upper belly, what lives in the left lower belly. So we talked about issues in the middle upper belly, left or right upper belly, even lung disease or the liver um, uh, dis- liver disease could cause pain because it lives inside a capsule. And if that capsule stretches, boy, can that hurt just like capsule around your knee. So let's move to the lower belly probably faster to go through right lower because left lower, a whole lot of good stuff lives there. So let's talk about right lower belly pain. Yeah. So the classic one that we always think about in the right lower quadrant is appendicitis. Yeah. And it's a great mimicker. It could trick a lot of really good doctors. So, you know, one of the main things we like to ask people who have acute appendicitis is, are you hungry? Because it's very rare that patients that have acute appendicitis, appendicitis are looking for something to eat. They really have no appetite. So uh, in the right lower quadrant, that's always on the list. And inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease is chronic inflammation of the intestine can mimic 
appendicitis. There's thickening in the small intestine. They can get perforations and abscess that can act just like appendicitis. Um, and then if you're dealing with a uh, female patient, uh, you have to add all the other things from the reproductive organs, uh, the fallopian tubes and the ovaries. Marianne already mentioned uh, uh, ruptured ovarian cyst, ectopic pregnancy. You know, some people not, didn't even know that they were uh, pregnant and now they have an ectopic uh, outside of the uterus that's in the abdominal cavity. And rarely you can see, you know, right-sided diverticulitis uh, uh, that can mimic uh, mimic appendicitis. So uh, these things are tricky. And in elderly patients, if uh, I see a older patient with appendicitis, Boy, that's really bothersome because I'm always worried there's something in the colon blocking the appendix. So those patients will need a thorough uh, GI evaluation after their appendix is out because I'd be worried there's something hiding mm -hmm. there in their colon. And then when we swim to the left lower belly, there is a lot of activity that can uh, rear its ugly head there. Let's talk about the left lower quadrant, Tony. Yeah, so uh, it's very important uh, when you get a colonoscopy, your doctor tells you on your exam, you have some diverticulosis, which are little pouches in the colon, to remember that because if you have left lower quadrant pain, you end up at your doctor's office or the emergency room, we would think that maybe those little pouches, they almost look like little cow's udders hanging off the outside of the colon, got inflamed and infected or even perforated. So diverticulitis is always high up on our list of people with left lower quadrant pain, you know, inflammatory bowel disease is again on the list. And then uh, again, a pelvic situation with the left ovarian uh, cysts, ruptured cysts, ectopic pregnancies, all these things are again in that, you know, left lower quadrant. So these are the things going through our mind. We're oftentimes going to need labs and imaging to sort through that, Miriam. Mm -hmm. And other, uh, parties live in our lower belly, like the bladder, you can have pretty bad pain sort of in the middle. Um, we call it the suprapubic area. Um, if there's inflammation in the bladder, which we call cystitis, I always remind people, itis, the suffix itis means inflammation. So if you have those little sacs in your colon that we refer to as diverticulosis, it doesn't mean you have itis. If you get diverticulitis and it's not treated uh, fairly quickly, that little sac, it's like having an ingrown toenail, that one tiny little spot can, can wreak real havoc. And if that little sac perforates, it can make you really sick and it can be life-threatening. Yeah. Um, so we have to consider bladder. Is your bladder um, hypertonic or in a lot of spasm or is there uh, inflammation from a bladder infection? All um, on the list. And then uh, sometimes the diverticulitis in the bladder start connecting <clears throat> So uh, this is why when you have left lower quadrant pain, you don't want to delay. I've had many patients wait a week and now they have a big, you know, baseball sized abscess, a pus ball in their abdomen. And now they need emergency surgery. They need a colostomy bag to divert. So the sooner you get to get checked uh, and catch it early, you get on some antibiotics, you're going to avoid a disastrous complication, but always keep uh, bladder in mind, urinary tract infections, kidney stones that have traveled down, pain can radiate from the flank in the back all the way down into the groin area. Uh, so we have to keep all those in mind. Sure. Well, like kidney stones, kidney, the stone, if it's traveling from your kidney can start as back pain and rotate around to the front. So that's why we will ask our patients, what about when you pass your water, any burning, any bleeding uh, when you urinate? And 
than the unusual zebras. We always tell our medical students, when you hear hoofbeats, think horses. But we, as the clinicians, all stuff to say, what about the hoofbeats of zebras? Could this be sickle cell that hasn't been diagnosed before? Could it be a condition we call porphyria? We'll talk about that in a little bit. So we want to evaluate the belly pain, Tony. What are the blood tests you do? What are your go-tos when you see somebody's belly pain? Yeah, so the most important things is you want to know if there's an elevation in their white blood cell count, which fights mm-hmm. infection. So that's going to be really important. And you want to know their their hemoglobin, their blood count, to see if there's any signs of GI bleeding in the body. And then chemistries are important. You want to know if their liver tests are abnormal. You want to know if their bilirubin, which turns people yellow, is abnormal. You want to know what their potassium is, if they've been having diarrhea, if they're potassium is really low or their kidney function is out of whack. Some people present with you know, acute kidney failure for some reason. Maybe they got an antibiotic or taken too many Motrin. So chemistries, a CBC, a thyroid study for those who may have sluggish bowels, as Marianne mentioned, thyroid disease, either too active or too slow can affect things. And a urine, you got to know if people have blood in their urine, if they have infection in their urine. And then pancreas testing, the simple enzymes of amylase and lipase will tell us sometimes if there's something going on. And even lipids once in a while, I'll check if somebody has yeah. gastric pain, because if they have an elevated triglyceride, that can trigger about a pancreatitis. And uh, so we're going to want to check those if we suspect that's a possibility. Calcium levels are also important because sometimes that can trigger things. So those are the, and a pregnancy test, obviously, if you're dealing with a female patient, because even if the patient tells you they're not sexually active, uh, believe me, we have diagnosed many people yep. who are yep. pregnant, who never thought in their wildest dreams in there that they could have been pregnant. And we do the blood test because that will turn positive more quickly than a urine test. We cannot leave it to chance for two reasons. If if pregnancy is the answer, maybe, uh, as we say, it could be an ectopic pregnancy and or if this is a uh, a friendlier cause of belly pain, we don't want to x-ray a developing baby. We don't want to CAT scan a developing baby, right? So pregnancy test is always up there in our list. So then you decide, hmm, I have to get a, a better visual of what's happening inside that cave we call the belly. What do you usually reach for? Well, the emergency room has gotten a lot more sophisticated, and now emergency room doctors are trained to do bedside ultrasounds. So if somebody has a right upper quadrant pain and they suspect that the patient might have gallbladder disease, the ER actually could do a quick ultrasound to look at the gallbladder. But other than that, the mainstay of checking things is a plain x-ray of the abdomen just to see if the intestine is all swollen, if the patient's got a lot of stool in there. GI tract, if there's air in the belly, your belly is a sealed system. So there shouldn't be any air other than inside the intestine and inside your stomach that shouldn't be outside. So we're doing a plain x-ray. We're looking for air that has snuck out from something that has a, a hole in it. Into the belly. Hole yeah. in we don't it. want, we don't <laughs> yeah. want free air in the, in the, in the belly. That's not good. So that's a very cheap, simple test to tell us is there's some sort of disaster in the abdomen, especially if a patient has had a procedure recently, a colonoscopy or some mm. complex procedure, we're going to want to check and make sure that there's been no Good post-procedure point. complications. And then there's all the next level of sophisticated testing. CAT scan can get done really quickly these days with these fast moving machines. And you go through this donut shaped machine and the, the x-ray cuts you like a spiral ham in a sense. And uh, you can see these magnificent images of the admin, which gives us a lot of useful 
information. So I think plain films, ultrasound, quick CT scan uh, would, would be the main three imaging studies that we would mm-hmm. probably go to as our first level of testing. And just as a little, for instance, when I was in training as a fellow, the resolution or the capability of a CAT scan stopped at a centimeter. We could not identify issues, lesions that were smaller than a centimeter. Centimeter is pretty big, especially in cancer language. We like to catch cancers when they're a centimeter or smaller. That seems to be a marker. But but now when we do a CAT scan, they are so much better. We can see salt and pepper from yesterday's dinner. I mean, we are picking up to the point almost where we're finding things that are friendly, but then we have to work them up. But it's it's all good. And, and the more sensitive, sensitive is how well a test finds something. And specificity is how, how clear are we that it's real and not Memorex, I guess. Um, and then we talk about other studies that we use as GI doctors or we implement. We love upper endoscopy and colonoscopy when it's indicated, but sometimes a patient will come with belly pain and we do an upper endoscopy and we don't find ulcers and we don't find any blockages. We do a colon exam and the lining for our listeners, the lining of your GI tract and your lungs and your bladder is just like inside your cheeks, inside your mouth. It's called mucosa, pale pink, shiny, smooth, uniform. We don't want to see ulcers, bleeding, et cetera. And when it's red, then we say, gosh, that's, that's part of the pain here. Is that from infection or from medication, whatever. But we do those studies. And once in a while, we see a patient who has absolutely normal lining and their CAT scan's normal and it's all this and that. And, and we've already said, we want to look for everyday issues like lactose intolerance or people that have celiac. Celiac can be so sneaky because um, the blood test can be normal, but we find it when we do the scope test, we look at the lining of the small intestine right past the stomach and the biopsies show early changes like we won't get into it, but but we know when we see that, and those people will eat something with gluten and just pay a big price. Yeah, I saw a young lady today who lost like ten pounds and had some abdominal pain, and her primary care doctor sent off some celiac blood tests. So you know, celiac is a great masquerader of irritable bowel. People have been misdiagnosed with irritable bowel for decades, and they had undiagnosed gluten problems from celiac disease. So. Uh, you know, in the emergency room, that's probably not something we typically would order as their first go through. Right. In office in the office. Boy, uh, Marion and I have ordered thousands of celiac tests in our career because we know we're going to pick that up. It's not uncommon. Well, I think it's important for people to know, too, that we don't just push a button and say, let's scope people. Because if we do have normal findings with those exams, there are other really helpful, inexpensive, non-painful tests like a gastric emptying study. We might give somebody a meal of scrambled eggs with a little dye and they eat the eggs. And then we take imaging maybe every 15 or 30 minutes and say, well, gee, the average person should, that, that meal should pass along within, you know, two hours, three hours. And if we do imaging on some people and the, the meal is still there after four or five hours, then we say, that's why their stomach is bench pressing to empty. And when it can't, they get their pain, like we said with gastroparesis. Or tell us about esophageal manometry. I think that's fascinating and so easy. Yes. Yeah, so some people can uh, present with squirrely chest pain and it's not a heart problem. And sometimes that can radiate down to the top of their abdomen. And they, again, as Marianne mentioned, the GI tract is one long continuous muscle. It's a smooth muscle for the most part, a little bit different than skeletal muscle like your arms, but these things can go into severe spasm. And um, 
there is a uh, test that we can do now. It's I call I tell the patients like you're getting a cardiogram of your esophagus. You know, we can't really get all the electrical activity of your esophagus through the chest wall like you can of the heart. That's a much bigger muscular organ. So we have to pass a, you know, I'm Italian, so everything's linguini. The linguini's got to go down <laughs> through the nose into the esophagus. We hook you up to a machine and you sip water, reproducing normal swallowing function. It can tell us uh, what's going on in terms of the electrical activity. And they have great names for these abnormalities in the esophagus, you know, nutcracker esophagus, jackhammer esophagus, very descriptive terms, you know, diffuse esophageal spasm. And the names have changed over the years, but they are very creative uh, because they want to stress that this is like the esophagus is like ringing of a towel. It's in spasm. And a lot of those people also have some trouble swallowing, but it's always on the list. Mm -hmm. And then we have another test. We use the scope and it has an extra little cannula or looks like a little straw that we can feed into an opening that opens a whole world of the bile ducts that empty your pancreas and liver and gallbladder. And we can take stones out of there. I mean, it really, without putting people through too much detail, it, it's pretty magical what we're able to do. And especially you, Tony, you can take large polyps from people in a safe, effective way and watch them for several hours and spare them surgery. It's mm-hmm. it's magnificent. That's the whole thing about our specialty now. We have so many of the tools, as already mentioned, that we are doing everything possible to keep people out of the operating room now with the same or better mm-hmm. outcome. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for our wrap up with Dr. Tony Infantilino. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Rob Strauber, Director of Intervention, one of your addiction experts from Recovery Centers of America. Today, I'm here to talk to you about intervention. Intervention is a very important step if your loved one is hesitant to access treatment or if you're worried that your loved one's unwilling to get help. It is important that you speak with one of our certified intervention specialists here at Recovery Centers of America. Having a certified intervention professional leading your team really helps the family with guidance, with education, with an opportunity to take a look at how we can best help your family system and your loved one access the treatment that they need and that they deserve. Having a certified intervention professional also helps the family system in the fact that the professional guiding your team is up to date with the most up-to-date information going on within the industry with best practices on how we can help the family system help their loved ones access the help that they need and deserve. As you begin 2023 in a fresh beginning, reach out to Recovery Centers of America if you or one of your loved ones needs help with drugs or alcohol. Call 877-938-0618 or visit recoverycentersofamerica.com slash Devon. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. Also, RSVP at rcaacademy.com for our free virtual continuing education course on intervention on January 12th. That's rcaacademy.com. 
I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this segment Your Weekly Prescription. So, Dr. Anthony Infantilino from Cooper Digestive Health, what's your take-home message for our listeners? Well, I think it's very important that people understand that most causes of abdominal pain are not life-threatening. But when it's severe, don't wait. Don't sit home and wait hours or wait for your family doctor's answering service to get back to you. I suggest that you head to the emergency room. And I, I'm, I don't think when you have severe pain, urgent care is the place for you to go because they really don't have the imaging capabilities that you might need. So if the pain is really severe, uh, I, I would head to the emergency room. And if it's really bad, you call 911 because the longer you delay, uh, the more uh the outcome may change in a, in, a, in a negative way. So get yourself uh, to the hospital. If you have mild abdominal discomfort, you should you know start off with your family doctor. And if your family doctor needs to send you to a gastroenterologist like Marion or myself, they'll arrange for those consultations. And you know, other than that, common things happen commonly. You know, medication-related things. Always think about that. Think about travel, think about ulcer disease, gallbladder disease, diverticular disease, irritable bowel, celiac disease. But it's important uh, also uh, to think about rare things. And Marianne and I, over our career, have had some rare birds. Mm-hmm. What's the most unusual zebra that you've ever diagnosed? Yeah, so uh, that, that's a good question. You know, there, there are a few uh, bad things uh, that I've found over the years, but they're very, very rare. Porphyria is uh, a, a breakdown products from red blood cells accumulate because a person is missing certain enzymes. And when these uh, chemicals build up in the blood, they can lead to a whole bunch of bizarre symptoms, neurologic uh, problems, GI problems, pain, sky high uh, blood pressure. So when uh, we've done our standard workup, which includes all the, the things that we've talked about you know, today, and the person is still coming back, and this is a person who you think is really reliable and telling you everything that they can, they're still having pain, start thinking outside the box. You know, other rare enzyme disorders, something called C1 esterase inhibitor deficiency, heavy metal poisoning from people drinking from well water may be contaminated, arsenic poisoning, you know, sometimes it's in the well water and sometimes it's somebody trying to take you off the planet. So uh-huh. you have to think about that. Yeah. So, but the common things happen commonly, but your doctor has to think outside the box when your pain is persistent. And if somebody has uh, intermittent pain, but weight loss, red flag, Black okay. stools could be that daily baby after making you bleed a little. And you make two other great points, Tony. Don't go to urgent care because they can shake your hand, but they can't keep you. They can't send you to the operating room. Go right to the emergency department and do not drive yourself, please. I mean, yes. the ambulance, while the driver's taking you, you have an EMT next to you, starting an IV, getting fluid started. Tony, if somebody wants to see you as a patient, 
now that you're at Cooper, how would they reach you to make an appointment? Yeah, so uh, uh, my main office number is right at the present time is in Mount Laurel. And uh, I see patients, as Marianne mentioned, with very specific disorders, people have bad reflux, Barrett's esophagus, this precancerous condition of the esophagus, uh, polyps that nobody else could dig out, and bleeding that nobody can find. Those are my three main areas of expertise. Our phone number at that location is 856-642-2133. And um, that, that's the fastest way to, to reach me. If you have any of these uh, areas of expertise that uh, I, I love to take care of, uh, I'd be more than happy to see. Well, a very special thank you to my friend and colleague and and my doctor, a doctor's doctor. I, I, I like to think that's the highest compliment I can give you because I picked you. You're stuck with me, Tony. <laughs> if you want to make an appointment to see Dr. Fantolino, if you have severe reflux, Barrett's esophagus, precancerous esophageal condition, GI bleeding, or big polyp, you're in the hands of a true master and a wonderful person at 856-642-2133. Tony, thank you so much. You are the best. Oh, Mary, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I miss uh, seeing you in person. I look forward to that. And it's been my honor to uh, uh, to help uh, spread some uh, education to uh, the community about this very important topic. Again, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I think I'm going to have to bring a hoagie over for lunch next. Uh, maybe we'll pick Wednesday, middle of the week. I like it. <laughs> thanks, Tony. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to this show again, The Real Champion, or any of our shows on odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Thanks to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Recovery Centers of America. Please follow us on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and now on threads. Send an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net and partner with us in the show or tell us about a champion from your world. It's hot out there these days. Our bodies cool by sweating, but in excessive heat, it can't regulate as well. And you don't want to experience a heat illness. Those at greater risk are children under age four, adults over 65, those who are obese or certain medications for blood pressure or heart disease or illegal drugs like cocaine. Wearing sunscreen helps to keep your body cool and never leave a child or any person or pet in the car. The temperature rises by 20 degrees in the first 10 minutes. So if you or someone you're with experiences fatigue, heavy sweating, muscle cramps, drink fluid with electrolytes, and find immediate rest in a place with shade or air conditioning, and if you notice any change in mental status, confusion, agitation, or a temperature greater than 104, call 911 because heat stroke is life-threatening. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre recorded.